today's auto dealer faces challenges like never before. Tesla sells cars from company stores, Uber is transporting people all over America, and let's not forget, Chinese cars are coming. The chairman of the NADA outlines the group's strategy, coming up next on AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today's topic is all about automotive retailers, car dealers. And the reason we're doing that is because our special guest today is Mark, Mark Scarpelli. He's the 2017 chairman of the National Automotive Dealers Association. Mark, great to have you here on the great show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Also joining us today, Steve Finley from Ward's Auto and Adrian Roberts from the Wall Street Journal. It's a pleasure to have the both of you Thank here, you. too. Thank you. Mark, I know one of your pet peeves of what's going on in the industry right now is all the incentives that are on cars. And it varies so much by region, by car company, even by dealer. Why don't you take it from there? Absolutely. You know, uh, our, our mission as automobile dealers and the National Automobile Dealer Association is to promote transparency in transactions. Consumers today want to make sure that everything is is in front of them, whether it be on their smartphones and on their computers. So we want to make sure that the level of transparency with discounts and incentives are up front and forward with a customer. Sometimes unintended consequences lead to some of these incentives being not so transparent. And prices uh, vary wildly from either towns or regions or different zip codes. Sometimes even a customer could come in and look at a, at a white car but want the black car similarly equipped, right? can't get the same price because the incentives on the white one versus the black one. So what we're trying to do is make sure to cut through the clutter and make sure that our OEM partners are on board and, and realize what customers want, and they want that transparency. Are you getting a receptive audience from the car companies on this? You know, I'll, I'll tell you, we, we have been talking about this for a number of years, and um, manufacturers, it's their own business, right? They've got to make sure that they move the needle and sell their automobiles. We get that. We're entrepreneurs ourselves. At the end of the day, we want to make sure that they understand from a customer perspective what we as automobile dealer retailers talk about. And I think that they're, they're starting to realize a little bit. And we're going to keep at it. And, you know, we want to coexist in this ecosystem. We're partners, right? So we want to make sure we do it properly. What you described a second ago is targeted incentives. And that is supposed to be the way to go. You don't put incentives on everything. Uh, you put it on what you want to move and uh, what you have the most available for. What's wrong with doing that? You know, I, I think, in, to your point, um, a lot of manufacturers will, will put a, a larger incentive on, on a heavily stocked item that is, is uh, plentiful on their shelf. They sure will. That, that's, that's nothing new. At the end of the day, though, that plentiful shelf, if we have three, three of these automobiles and only one applies for them, they're the exact same, that's where the rub comes in. A consumer doesn't understand that. And it's very difficult for us as retailers to describe that. Well, sir, ma'am, we've got the three that are exactly the same, but you can only have the incentive on, on this one, not the other two. And they want the other one. Difficult to describe. So what's the solution? This, the solution is to, is to make sure that, that the targeted incentives, if they choose, because it's their business, if they choose to have it ac across the board in that model segment, not a specific vehicle. You know, the, some of them have even gone as far as a specific manufacturer dates. If one was before, we'll give a discount. If not, we'll give it on the other one. Tough to explain. Again, it's a business decision on their part. 
Uh, some aren't begrudgingly understand it, but interfacing with a consumer, tough to explain. And what does that do to your margins? So last month, incentive spending was the highest it's ever been. Can you make money on new cars? You know what? Uh, the new car business is, um, and I'm ad advocating transparency, right? The new car business is very transparent. We have new car pricing online, which frankly makes for an educated customer to come in. They know about what they're going to spend for the car. The variable there is, is these discounts or uh, incentives that I'm referring to. So the prices uh, vary wildly. So uh, you know you might be able to get a, a, a one for two thousand dollars off, and Steve might be able to get one for four thousand dollars off. So uh, making money in that arena is um, you know we're car dealers. We build relationships. We would like to have the customer come back for servicing and buying a second or third automobile for their their son or daughter going into college or a company car. You know we're not in it for the short haul. We're in it for generations. I come from a family that's two generations long, almost 60 years in the car business. I'm proud. Well, what's interesting, the question you asked is like, you know, where's that uh, margin between what you buy the car for and what you sell it right. for? It gets smaller and smaller. A lot of it is in internet pricing transparency. But the bonuses, if you hit your targets that dealers get from the uh, automakers, is, has become this revenue stream that wasn't uh, as much as before. So talk about that shift. That's a big shift as to where the money is coming well, from. Well, you know, we're talking uh, about margins. The, the margins on a new car, to both of your points, the margins on a new car are, are razor thin. Right. They're not as robust as they had been. So, th so that avenue uh, with transparency on the inter Internet has closed. People know what the MSRP is and what the cost is. So that, that window is very tight. Then you talk about the manufacturer to dealer incentives. When a dealer prices their automobiles, whether it be online, newspaper, TV, whatever, that's, that's in the sauce, if you will, right? That's baked in. So that is um, priced into the discounted price as well. So while on the surface it may seem as though it's, um, uh, there, there's a little bit more in margin there, that's uh, passed along to the consumer. Because the, the car dealer, believe it or not, believes in transparency. We need to sell those automobiles in large volumes. So it does really does no good for us to hang on to that money. We need to sell the automobile. And yet dealers have always been a place where people go to haggle over the price of a car. They may not haggle on anything else much in their purchasing, but in cars they do. It's always been part of the business. So what's really changed? You know, what if I went in and haggled better than these two did and got a better price? That's the way it's always been. You seem to be suggesting there's a change now. And I might add, they also say they don't like to haggle, but when they go to the dealership, they do They haggle. want to. So, yeah. you know, what they say and what they do are two different things. Yeah, in, in the haggling part of it, or have I got my best deal, is exactly what you said. When they come into the car dealership, uh, there's a certain more amount of haggling or horse trading going on. At the end of the day, we all want to feel good about the transaction, right? So in our world, the customer is king or queen. They walk out and they win. That's what we want to have happen. We're there to sell cars. We're not there to hang on to these. So we want to make sure it's a win for everybody involved. And, you know, the, the shift or dynamic that you talk about, um, you know, everything is, is so transparent today. So we want to make sure that we are transparent. There's going to be um, no holding back and making sure that, that we give all the information first. Because if we're not transparent, guess what? You can go to another car dealer. Mm -hmm. They want to buy from us. We want to buy from us.
Yeah, so is that how the dealership experience is changing because of this? If you have a customer walking in and they have all this information and they say, I know I should be getting this deal, how do you serve them as opposed to a customer before who knew nothing <laughs> and was just, you know, just perusing the lot for a car? Well, I'll answer that in two ways. Previously, the, the deal and the customer experience is a state of mind, right? Mm -hmm. When you buy an automobile, it's an emotional purchase. So uh, if you walk out and you felt as though you got a good deal, you got a good deal, right? Mm -hmm. In today's world where there's transparency and everything is, is online or you can get the information, in our world, it's even better. And it's even better because the customer is educated. We don't have customers coming so much anymore and saying, I want $10,000 off on a car. That customer is educated, and rightfully so. Um, you know, we can get together on a number, and our expectations are the same. They want to buy a car at a good price. We want to sell and service them throughout their ownership experience. So it's a win-win for everybody. Mark, there's uh, been a huge increase in the amount of leasing that goes on. And in fact, some analysts are getting worried about so many cars coming off lease every year right now. I think this year, three and a half million cars are supposed to come off lease. In another couple of years, it's going to be five million cars a year coming off lease. Some of the analysts are saying, hey, that's going to drive down used car values. That's going to drag down new car values. And that's going to end up with fewer new cars being sold. Do you buy that? What do you see going on? Well, historically, some of the information that you just said, historically, those things have happened. I think some of the, the uh, OEMs and, and retailers have figured out um, they're, doing, they're doing lease programs on select vehicles, whether SUVs or cars, and making sure that uh, the market and the, the car market is, is stable for those particular brands. So I think they're going to be able to, to keep the residu residual values a little higher than they had. No doubt um, when there's a lot of vehicles coming off lease, the, the market changes a little bit. It's, a, it's more of a buyer's market in some cases. But again, time will tell too. Economic conditions change, interest rates, gas prices. I could throw five other things at it, but you know, we'll get the crystal ball out. But What's your take on used car leasing? Some people say it's time has come. Um, After you know, not going anywhere for so long. You know, with, with the price of a new automobile, which is about $34,000, we're all about uh, consumer affordability. Um, and uh, in today's market, $34,000, while seem like a lot of money, and it is, uh, the incentives that are out for customers, whether it be low financing or actually the price of the car, you know, based off of 20 years ago rate of inflation, we've actually bucked the trend. It, it's, it's really quite affordable. So uh, that uh, manufacturers are making sure that new cars are still affordable. Used car leasing, you know, over the years there's been a lot of talk about it. It just frankly has not, not been embraced. They're usually subsidized by the new car manufacturers. They want to sell new cars. Yeah, that's the, that's that's the, the bottom line. Now, the other side of it, though, is um, it was at one point considered very hard to predict the residual value of a car going that far out. But now with technology and inventory management and stuff like that, it's easier. So that even though the manufacturers not, might not be thrilled about the prospect of used car leasing, the technology makes it a little more right. doable. And, and there are some lenders in the market who are, are talking about used car leasing and, and trying to embrace it. Time will tell if it, if it really is a viable product. At the end of the day, the consumer is going to be driving that car or truck, right? So they're going to dictate whether they're like used car leasing or not. With all these cars coming off lease, um, it seems like more people are going to buy used cars because it's going to drop the values. How does that change the way you think about the business and dealers across the country? 
are they more focused on selling used cars and does that become a bigger part of their business? Well, you know, uh, running a, a modern uh, car dealership today is, is a lot of uh, business centers within under one roof. You know, you have parts departments, you have service, you have new car sales, used car sales, some have body shops. So it's all encompassing. You have to make sure that all of those departments are viable. The used car part of the business for sure is uh, very important. It's an uh, area where an automobile dealer can offer a nearly new product with a 72-point inspection or a 125-point inspection to a consumer who may not necessarily be looking, looking at the new car market and can't afford that, you know, that number, whatever it may be. So it, it's a reasonable alternative. So my answer to it is I think the modern-day new car dealer is good in a lot of areas, including used car sales. Mark, one of the big trends we see coming in the industry now globally is the push to electrification. Every single car company, it seems, is turning around and saying we're going to electrify our lineup in the next five to six years. By electrify, meaning plug-in hybrid or pure battery electric. And yet the sales aren't all that great. You know, this seems to be pushed more by regulatory demand than it is by consumer demand. And yet some environmentalists criticize car dealers for not doing a good job of selling the EVs that they've got on their lots. Sure. How do you see it? You know, I'll tell you, again, I hate to keep uh, saying the same mantra, but the consumer drives the car, meaning that we go with their demand. We have a full shelf of hybrids, electrics, combustion engines. We will sell what the consumer wants. We have sales seminars. We have training on, on all of those products. And in fact, we love the technology. They're on our lots. But the fact of the matter is, you look at gasoline prices, they're very affordable. The price of an EV versus a combustion-type automobile is sometimes uh, a third more, sometimes half more. Um, so again, it's, it's driven by consumer demand. We as automobile dealers will sell an automobile, automobile that a consumer wants, whatever it is. We, we don't discriminate. But didn't Elon Musk say the reason he didn't want to go through the franchise system is because of the fear that the salespeople would not be selling the EV, they'd be redirecting the customer over to this gasoline engine vehicle. Uh, that, that was one of the reasons he said, I, I can't th go through franchise dealerships that are selling other cars. Well, I, th I think in, in the, that example, I, I think when you have a small uh, volume manufacturer, you can dictate how you're going to bring an automobile to market. And, and in his case, has been able at the moment to uh, sell automobiles uh, through a, a smartphone or, or PDA. Um, at the end of the day, when you get a little bit more volume and you have folks that uh, want to get their car picked up, serviced, uh, problems, uh, talk, talk to people on the ground about how to get the car doing this or that, whatever, um, things may change in that market. A at the end of the day, we are there for the consumer and make sure that we can answer the questions to sell, to sell and service the car. And what's the dealer's responsibility, in your opinion, of... Um, describing the benefits of an electric car and same with like semi-autonomous features they can save lives but do you find is that something that you need to tell the customer hey here's how you work this here's why you should drive an electric car or is that burden on the consumer well I think it's twofold for sure um, as we had noted earlier many consumers come to our, our, our franchises our, our dealerships and they have a, a preconceived concept of either an electric or a combustion type car and in many cases, it's driven by budgetary concerns. 
So um, that's usually how the conversation goes. Nobody likes to be told what they should buy or how they should do it. It's, it's America, right? We have decisions, and, and in, in many people's cases, they want what they want. Now, we suggest we have, we have this Model A or this Model B, but at the end of the day, the consumer is going to ultimately make that decision with their pocketbook. Hey, you're in a unique position, Mark. Uh, you, you used to work for General Motors. I did. Were you a field representative? I sure was. Which, uh, depending on Good issues memory. of the day, uh, can be like a, you know, an IRS agent at a Tea Party convention. Um, <laughs> you know, you're like you're the guy that's saying you got to order more cars. You got to take these ones. Um, talk about that. Does it give you a different perspective on dealers having? Sure. That. Sit on both sides of the fence. Exactly. Well, I can tell you, uh, I hate to date myself, I was a factory rep in the in the mid-1980s right out of college. So that process, and by the way, I work for Oldsmobile, but um, <laughs> that process has changed. You know, it was more, at that time, more of a, a push system where we were talking, take five of these, eight of those, and really um, great reps, knowledgeable people at the time, but the rep of today is, is a far cry different than what it used to be. Today's rep is, is based on uh, technology, sales efficientness, uh, programs, accessory programs, uh, options on cars, and uh, doing more uh, within the uh, dealership uh, community than, than we did back in the day. So it's changed. Um, I, I will tell you, you know, it, it's, it is uh, factory rep's job to make sure that the dealer shelves are fully stocked. That saying, will never change. These dealers are driving me crazy <laughs> when you were a factory rep? Well, I, I sat on both sides of it, and I tried not to because at the time my dad was the dealer. So I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, another big trend that we're seeing in the industry is the move to all this ride sharing and car sharing. You know, Uber and Lyft and Zipcar and all these other startups coming. Some analysts are saying, hey, this is going to take car sales away in the future. I'm wonder, wondering, what do car dealers think about this, this coming wave of change, and, and can car dealers play a role in it? Uh, you know, I, I think we can. We've, uh, over the hundred years of, of, of our history of selling cars being retailers, we have reinvented ourselves hundreds of times, maybe, maybe uh, 50 times, but a, a bunch of times. And we'll continue to do that. You know, I can tell you what I did five years ago is not what I'm doing three years ago or even today. That's how much this dynamic market has changed. This is just another avenue that, at, at the end of the day, the consumer will dictate how cars and trucks are bought and sold. And it remains to be seen if they'll embrace it. There are certain areas and certain test markets that are, are being accepted, other ones that are not. So the ride share, the um, sharing of the car, kind of like a timeshare kind of thing, you know, on the surface it all sounds, sounds great, but at the end of the day, you park your automobile and then you have somebody else take your car and you drive, they drive it for two days and it's, you get the car back, what condition it's gonna be in, are you really gonna wanna do that? The other part of this whole thing too is, is you know, autonomous cars, and they're all developing, but our infrastructure around America, is it ready for it? You know, our bridges, our road systems, the electronics, safety, all of those things have to be considered. The charging capabilities around the country. Are you, uh, are you ready, as a consumer, are you ready to go from a two-minute fill-up or a five-minute fill-up with gasoline to a minimum of 15 minutes parked somewhere, maybe waiting in line because there's 10 gas stations to maybe one electrification-type refueling uh, 
point. Those are all things that on the surface we don't get into, but when you get down deep into the woods, start thinking about it. And we all need to think about that. I'm not saying we don't like it, but these are things we all need to think about deep. Yeah, because, you know, uh, if ride sharing is really going to catch on, you're going to have to have car service in every community. You're going to need acres to park these cars on at night when they're not being used. And you're going to need service space to keep them up and running. And when I look at those criteria, car dealers seem to be per in a perfect position. Absolutely. And if you, you look at the, the statistics, and I don't have the exact number, but the average American, even if they're not driving the car, I think this the statistic is 80% of the time or 75% of the time the car is parked, right? But those other times, you jump in your car to go wherever six or eight times during the day. So if you're going to hail a car, right, a ride share, get the autonomous vehicle to come and get you, you're going to do that eight times a day or six times a day. These are all things that getting a little deeper below the surface should be thought and talked about. So how do you see your business model changing over the next 10 years here? Do you see the dealership being used for inventory management, or do you think at the end of the day, people are still going to come in and buy new, new cars at the numbers they are now. Yeah, you, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, I, I think it's evolving for sure. Um, you know, with the advent of the internet and uh, people, how they shop today, you know, that's evolving, that's changing. You know, maybe some online purchases and all of those kind of things. But at the end of the day, as I said in one of my opening comments, buying an automobile, uh, whether you found it online or however you found it, it's still an emotional purchase. You still want to come in and get behind the wheel, smell that new leather, drive it, right? See if it's got some horsepower. See how the trunk pops. How can I interface it with my telephone? Those are things that have not been able to be uh, replicated at the moment, and you know it's going to be a tough way to replicate it other than really getting uh, with the car and, and feeling the car. Steve brought it up earlier, Tesla not going with the franchise dealer route, they're going with their own stores. How do you assess what they've done so far and do you perceive them as a threat? Well, you know what, as I had mentioned earlier, it's a different business model, different perspective. Um, they have a, a relatively uh, small car park uh, rolling around the country. Um, and, you know, if, if they ever do get up to a bigger volume, uh, they've had some problems with their Model 3, I understand, with assembling it and um, those kind of things. So jury's still out on that model. Our system, which has been in place over 100 years, is, is the, the standard for the industry. People in Europe and China want to replicate what we have here, meaning automobile dealers where people come to buy cars, service cars, and it's a point of entry and it's a relationship. Um, at that point with uh, Tesla, it's you know, just, just not happening at the moment. You're the chairman of the NADA, the National Auto Dealers Association. What are you hearing about the Chinese? I mean, they've got to be have an eye on this market. The Chinese market is far bigger than the U.S. market now, but the U.S. market is far more profitable than the Chinese one. You know, uh, interesting you mentioned that. Uh, we traveled to China uh, two or three months ago. We were in uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai for about 10 days. We visited their auto show and talked to many Chinese automobile manufacturers. And they have a couple um, directives. One of them is electrification in their market. One executive put it to me like this. We have a, uh, a uh, young market, a uh, immature market, uh, where many people in our country don't own an automobile. So if we want to come to market with a combustion engine or an electric car, we can do that. 
they've chosen an electric car, they can essentially dictate what's going to be sold there. So that can happen in their market. As far as coming uh, to our market, uh, another auto executive said, you know what, uh, the U.S. is not the biggest market, but it is the market. If you make it in the U.S., you can make it anywhere. Well, and, uh, but so it's they very have aspirations hard. To come it's here. very hard to make it in the U.S. Absolutely. though. It's also the most competitive market, and it's uh, it's not a growth market. I mean, you're going to uh, on a great on a really good year, you're going to hit 17 million or so. That's supposed to go up a little, but there is this max out that there isn't so much in oh, China. In, so in they China, might find it a little harder to oh, do business in this country than they thought. China is 28 million, I think, something like that as far as a market. So it's a huge market. 28 million vehicles. Yeah, Absolutely. right. And still growing. Yeah. So when do you think the Chinese will be here? You know what? Uh, we have some indications. As a matter of fact, a manufacturer would like to come to the NADA show in Las Vegas in March. So uh, they are going to be on display Has that ever at, happened again at our show. Before? It'll be the first time oh, okay. at our show. They have had some uh, debuts, and I know that they've been at, to the Detroit Auto Show um, and possibly a couple others around the country. But I think they're, um, I was in China uh, maybe eight years ago. They had talked about coming. I think they're a little bit more serious now, and I believe that the government has given them the green light. So, you know, I expect Which to see one? some Chinese entries. <laughs> ours or theirs? <laughs> I believe theirs. <laughs> right. But clearly, they need to learn the U.S. franchise system if they want to be big players here, and that's why they're contacting you? Absolutely. You know, uh, part of our reason to go there was to reach out uh, to manufacturers and talk to them about uh, selling automobiles in the U.S., and they were very interested on uh, how to uh, reach our market, how to uh, become dealers, what they should look for, and those type of things. So in, in our way, we're helping them and uh, understanding basically what the franchise system is, how automobile dealers um, network in their their markets, how they uh, have people who work for them who live in their towns. You know, we contribute to baseball teams and all of those other things, which, which make a heck of a lot of sense versus a corporate center located somewhere in somewhere else. Well, Mark Scarpelli, it's been great having you on this show. We're going to have to wrap this up here now. We, we never really established you are a car dealer. I am a car dealer. And you, you got how many stores? You know what? We have, uh, we have four stores. We have uh, two Chevrolet stores, Kia, and a Chrysler Jeep Ram Dodge store. I should have established that at the very beginning of the show, but thank you for saying so. Mark Scarpelli, thanks again for being on. Steve Finley, Adrian Roberts, want to appreciate or say how much I appreciate having you guys Pleasure. on here, too. Thank you for being here. And of course, want to thank all of you for having tuned in.